Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Another fantastic day for an interview because I've got another overachiever on my show. You know, most of us die once. Some of us get the privilege to do maybe twice. Okay, and that's already quite a bit of, you know, don't try that at home, kids kind of thing. This guy did it. You know, dozens of times. Okay, it's just, come on, come on. Get a new hobby kind of thing. Um, and you guys might think, okay, come on, this is bullshit. Well, first of all, it's not bullshit. I've met regrettably many patients like him in my work as an anesthetist in the emergency uh, department. And, in, and it is such a hidden source of trauma, a, a hidden source of life coming to a halt and you think what the fuck and so now it's high time that i speak to fred rutman who is with me here beaming all the way from canada and is willing to share his story of medical issues completely derailing his life uh, at least for a time and then unfortunately things not going so smooth in the process so where unfortunately you know things didn't work out so well but let's explore your story good morning from me to you for you it's good afternoon fred it's lovely to have you on my show thank you i appreciate you having me on uh, so things uh, did work out pretty well you know <laughs> because i am here so much better than the alternative Touche, touche. That is a privilege which we often forget that we actually have, mm -hmm. because so many of us do not have that privilege and are no longer mm -hmm. among us. Um, cool. What was happening, let's say, um, X minus two years? Um, so if, what was your life like when... Uh, you were going out there as a man trying to grab life by its balls and make the most out of it. How did your typical day look like? Um, I was a college professor. So I was teaching a variety of business courses, all sorts of marketing and finance. And, uh, you know, I had my own unique of style of, of educating I called it more edutainment because with millennials now, you know, to, to keep them off their phones and their computers, you have to do something outstanding. And, um, you know, 2008, 2009, fortunately for me, we were just getting into really good technology in the classrooms and we were having the financial meltdown. Um, so instead of just, you know, giving the kids a, a textbook, I was able to bring up live streams mm -hmm. and and show them what was going on in the real world, um, especially the finance and marketing world, mm. as as this meltdown was going on. And uh, wow. wow, and that is cool because you actually, from the word go, utilize technology and used it to your advantage. Because I have been to many a lectures where um that did not happen and the style of death by powerpoint um oh can be yeah exactly can be just brutal now i'm renowned for my powerpoints so let's and i i want to give my generation and myself a break but i'm also renowned of having a lot of visual cues and of quite good jokes on on a dare or pictures that just flush in and put put smiles on people's faces and and you keep going and it's all incorporated into the lecture so my my people tend to keep awake and but like mm -hmm. you the edutainment isn't it is such an important bit that always made me the 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 good lecturer by actually mm -hmm. they often put me after lunch or some some crap time because i i kept people awake i kept bouncing sure. and was in their face and and it was cool it was absolutely cool mm -hmm. i don't know how many calories i i burned uh doing exactly that uh but it was cool it was good fun so i really enjoyed it that. is also exhausting oh please isn't it but I loved yeah. it. I mean, they, uh, Tony mm -hmm. Robbins, one of the, the big 
influencers out there. They they put some monitors on him and measured him uh, on a typical day, and he's burning eleven thousand calories. Uh, that's just wow. nuts on a twelve hour day. These are his his twelve hour. Uh, yeah, come on, people, jump around, <laughs> and that is a hell of a lot of calories. Um, so For sure. exactly, but so. Guys out there, if you next time you you look at your lecturer and he is really giving his heart, he's working hard. That's a, that's a workout. So here mm-hmm. you are, a man who is driven to give everything in your show. I call it a show. Uh, your lectures and make the most out of it. So you loved your your job. Yes, very much. It was uh, it was always fun to to give students something so they wouldn't go through the hell that you did, you know, building your career. (laughs) So everything from, you know, how to conduct a meeting to how to give a proper presentation. I I would always tell them to, you know, sign up to Toastmasters or to Dale Carnegie or anything like that. Um, Even just learn how to keep eye contact. Nice. And, And that puts you ahead of so many other people in the workforce. Ah, interesting. And this so often it's the, the nonverbal communication. That's how you show up and the style um, that you settle into um, that suits you and that works with mm-hmm. you. Now you're quite right. Oh, beautiful. So how long were your days? Um, I would teach two, three hour slots three times a week which was a lot. Um, I, I don't have um, a great visual memory, so I didn't recognize students. So, so okay. especially work. when they're hiding behind their laptop covers and, and everything. So it, it's, quite, it's quite challenging uh, to keep track of who's who and who's in what class. And yeah. uh, but then, so how many you know, hours? When, how many hours a day would that translate to you working, learning, doing things? Uh, you generally prep an hour and a half for every three hours you teach, or mm-hmm. at least that was my schedule, and then you had to have an hour and a half um, of office hours. Mm-hmm. So you know it could be a six, twelve hours day. Okay. So that was on the days when you were teaching. How did the other days look mm-hmm. like? Were you doing uh, meditation, yeah. lying in a spa, having having um, creek virgins peel you the grapes? Um, unfortunately, no. <laughs> I wasn't having any of that. Um, you know, when you're when you're teaching courses like I was, you have to really stay on top of the material. So there was a lot going on in the world uh, with the markets melting down, mm-hmm. um, with the recession coming on, with technology, you know, staking its claim and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, right now we're we're having the battle over Twitter um, with Elon Musk and his technology. So you have to keep up on everything to make mm-hmm. sure that you're you're cool with the kids. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, a year before this, I didn't even know how to pronounce Kanye West. <laughs> so I, I got mocked mercilessly when I tried to bring him up in class. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, the arrogance of youth. Here you go. <laughs> so okay, so you were basically there, uh, being immersed in your life. Um, did you at that time? Did you look after yourself? Or I mean, how about exercise, hydration, nutrition? Uh, those kind of things that that are that we nowadays believe in and preach and live by. <laughs> so, what about you? How did that go? I have always been a bike rider, yeah. but I've always uh, had a weight problem. So, you know, um, that's a nasty com- comorbidity on its own. Mm. Um, so, I probably wasn't as healthy as I should have been but the uh, the doctors uh you know weren't really adamant in pushing me towards any change in lifestyle and uh you know Just i don't want to lay this 
Sorry. Yeah, I don't want to lay this all on the doctors because you have to take some personal responsibility, oh. and I'm much better at it now. Uh, but back then, if you if nothing's really afflicting you, you you don't, or at least I didn't have that motivation to make any changes. It's mm. a big problem, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And then, however, <laughs> so the gods were sitting up there in their pantheon, looking down and thinking, he still doesn't get it, is he? <laughs> he still doesn't mm-hmm. get the message. Yeah, right. Why don't we throw him a bit of a curveball? So what actually happened? What happened to you in uh, that completely restarted your life and your outlook on life? So in the summer of... 2009, um, I started what we thought was passing out randomly. You know, I could be sitting in a chair like this. I could have been walking down the street. And uh, then whatever amount of time later, I sort of came back to life. And every time I passed out, I hit my head on whatever was the hardest object in the universe that was in the vicinity. And, uh, you know, sustained, you know, numerous concussions. And when you have those in short succession, they build on each other. Of course they do. So I I really got the crap knocked out of me. Um, So a lot of post-concussion syndrome. And as we talked about before, the, the doctors were convinced, you know, you've got a middle-aged white male who's overweight he must be having a heart attack but so they kept testing me for that and i forget the name of the enzymes they they test for yeah um and uh, tra- but they weren't we, showing up troponins is the the thing that we look for thank you so and they didn't show up so they didn't think it was a heart attack in its own right keep going what happened then but but they you would think after you've tested me 15 times and you don't find the answer you're anticipating, you would sort of move off your spot mm. and say, okay, there's something else going on here. Yeah. But that didn't happen um, for a number of months. So uh, this started in May and it wasn't until August when I was on a halter monitor. Good. Um, and I had a number of these incidents, and they actually caught it on tape. And then uh, I was in the hospital at that point, and the cardiologist, um, there was nobody around to read the results of the holter because of budget cuts. So I had to wait a couple of extra days, and the doctor comes running into the room. He's like, holy shit, you know, uh, your heart's been stopping. Well, duh. <laughs> okay. Ouch. Okay. Um, uh, what a shame that there was a delay there in the diagnosis. And mm-hmm. you are probably quite right to, to be a bit upset about that. Um, mm-hmm. Always difficult to understand why delays occur, why people were not switched on, what they were thinking. So it's hard for me to comment, for any doctor to comment on something that didn't go as smoothly maybe as it should have been without knowing the mm-hmm. whole truth and knowing all the details. Mm-hmm. So, but needless to say, you are quite right. Not only was there the sudden shock of, my God, what's happening, and then hitting your head, and not only having a period of, actually, you're dead, um, then also to include a concussion. Now, that's, that's not a great, great start of a day. I'm very mm-hmm. sorry to hear that to start off with. Um, Thank you. When you when your heart jumped into rhythms, did it actually jump into rhythms that don't support the blood flow, or did it actually stop? My understanding is that it stopped. I have a severe full heart block. Yeah. So okay. Um, so in other words, and, the electricity uh, that normally flies through the chambers of the heart and causes the chambers to work together in a kind of sensible way, um, that did not occur. So you had mm-hmm. one chamber trying to do its own thing, uh, the odd bomb, bomb, the other chamber doing much slower. Yeah, or non-existent. 
or non-existent. Mm. That's right. So now that's yeah. now that's bizarre because normally things like that you can actually see on on the tracing of your heart, the routine ECG. Um, so that that was that not picked up uh, earlier, or did, was that so intermittently that you that the doctors got fooled fifteen times? My my understanding, and again, I'm not like you. I'm not a doctor. Um, is that they tend to pick this up if it if they are doing the ECG and it happens during the ECG. That's true. Okay, so it was intermittent. Okay, so I hear you. Goodness gracious! So a tricky one because here you are mm-hmm. um, as a doctor. You come in after the event. You do check out things. What is happening? What did you feel? Did you feel that your heart was stopping? Or did it just hit you like a pole axe, bang? I felt what I call a brain quake in that uh, I think it's similar to what fighter pilots might feel when they're pulling heavy Gs. Correct. And, you know, it was like I was having an earthquake in my brain and it probably lasted for a second, second and a half. And then I would go tunnel vision straight to black and then whenever my heart decided to start beating again, um, it started beating again. And we have some, we had some strips um, from when I was in the hospital and knowing how long it takes for a code blue to get activated on, Mm -hmm. um, three to five minutes before I came back to life, everything started up again. Okay. So So three to five minutes until your heart restarted. So during that time, there was actually no blood flow. Okay, good. Thank you. So guys, the reason that I'm I'm hunting a bit in more details into this story um, is to try to figure out what is the chicken and the egg here? Because there you are with a concussion. um, So you hit your head whilst you fell down. Now, in its own right, if your heart stops and for the blood supply and therefore the oxygen supply to the brain stops, the brain doesn't like it, okay? That's an injury in its own right. That's that's basically your first wang on the head. That's just not the oxygen. Mm-hmm. And then the additional wang is when you actually impact with whatever hard object is around you. So here you go. So we went quite a bit into medical detail there. I hope I didn't lose half of mm-hmm. my audience, but it is so important to figure out what the hell was actually going on here. Because ultimately, mm-hmm. um, we are talking maybe maybe about maybe blaming my colleagues and I try to understand is that really the appropriate way um, I'm trying to figure out what what uh, is the sequence of events and ultimately you had multiple 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 injuries to your head not just from the sheer fact that you impacted but also from the sheer fact that you had actually no blood supply happening for a period of up to five minutes and that's mm-hmm. that's scary now that it's, will scramble with a man's brain very very nicely it will also scramble mm-hmm. with a man's soul um did you feel anything were there out of body experiences were there near death experiences i had uh, a few out of body experiences which were very weird uh most people ask if i had the uh come to the light kind of experiences mm-hmm. that uh, a lot of people claim uh, I unfortunately didn't have any of those. Uh, I, I feel kind of ripped off, actually. You know, if you have one experience and you don't get that, fine. But when you get into the multiples, I know. You know, give me at least one. Okay, okay. Um, so, what happened? What what was this out of body? What could you see? What could you experience? I was literally looking down on myself wherever it happened. Um, I remember one time I had been riding my bike through a park at night and there's nobody that comes through this park at night during the daytime. It's well-traveled because it goes, it leads to a school. So you've got all the, the students going back and forth. Mm. But I remember just seeing, you know, my bike there, me there and being very confused. Um, You know, depending on your outlook of, of, how your body works and if you actually have a soul and it goes to heaven hopefully um you uh you i i'm guessing that was my soul just looking down and deciding 
Mm. You know, um, am I going to stick around? Am I going to go back into the body? Am I going to go up? Am I going to go down? And and you're so right because not not many people do get the full blown um, out of body experience. Yet the amount of people mm. who I've met who were in your shoes were literally who literally were dead who literally where the heart stopped um, for a period of time. Um, it is, yeah, it is not a given that something like that happens. So whilst you feel maybe cheated, I understand that, but the, the odds were, I think, stacked against you that you've got such an experience. But it is what it is. Mm -hmm. it, what I mean, was that a scary thing for you? How did you feel emotionally when when you came around on and in the in the minutes, hours, days afterwards? I think I was in a lot of shock and didn't fully comprehend what was happening to me. Um, even after the the doctor came in and said your heart was stopping, I didn't fully comprehend that I was dead, uh, which is pretty difficult thing to wrap your head around when your brain is functioning normally. Um, and it, it took, you know, a couple of years of, of therapy after that to, to really get a full understanding of, of how bad my situation was. But then the situation happened again. Shit. So, you know, uh, a couple of times, and then I went through some botched surgeries um, I when you say bust surgeries, what 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 people what did people try to do? Well, the solution to to my condition is to put in a pacemaker. Correct. And that's what they did. Um, and I was sort of functioning normally, but I didn't really have a treatment plan. Like nobody addressed the concussions, the PTSD. Ah. You know, there's we're so much in the infancy of, of learning about neuroplasticity and uh, neurotropic agents and, and how to do all this um, that I really didn't have a treatment plan. Uh, so everything that I accomplished, I, I mostly did on my own because my therapist was uh, not available to me for a couple of years. And when I eventually told her this story of what happened to me, first, she's been a doctor for a long time so she's seen like you a lot of stuff and uh she couldn't believe that this happened to me and uh i asked her a couple of years after that you know what do you remember from when i told you this story she said i can't believe you're any degree of functional at all so that uh my goodness and mm -hmm. when and it is it just shows that that we focus on as as doctors we often focus on the problem not understanding the impact that a particular medical problem can have on the rest of the body and on the mind etc so it is for example to give you some statistics after a major motor vehicle accident the chance that you have got ptsd is at least 30 40% so a ballpark figure there so and that is now more accepted. There are trauma, um, there are trauma specialists, trauma nurses that then visit you on the ward, check those things out, see how you're coping. The problem, of course, is that uh, PTSD is a diagnosis that is done with hindsight, because it's normal to be hypervigilant. It's normal to re. re live all those things it's normal to be uh, heightened anxiety levels um that is all part and parcel of your healing of your brain making sense of what has occurred in the first six mm -hmm. weeks but then if it lasts for three months and longer and and things often get worse before they finally hopefully get better well that's that's mm -hmm. ptsd so we look yeah. for it in major trauma minor trauma uh, no one thinks about it okay Oh, your thumb is missing. So what? Okay, so what? Put a bandage on and call. 
the sheer fact that you are a, a guitar player who whose life is is you know you define yourself by the way you play the guitar well try that without a thumb okay suddenly you know those kind of things already mm-hmm. shit no people maybe don't switch on to so so majorly oh I'm, I'm i'm sorry to hear all that because here you were left a bit alone to your to your own devices and it was it must have been hard for you it was i i also don't want to give the impression that i'm you know crapping on the medical system um you know it is what it is whatever mm-hmm. industry you're you're involved with you know you're going to have your superstars mm-hmm. and you're going to have people that you're like how how did you even get hired and why why haven't you been fired yet <laughs> and unfortunately i had a uh, a few people uh work on me at the beginnings of this that were in the the latter category mm. you know why are why are you here <laughs> you know why are you a doctor why are you a nurse mm. okay. um i had one person give me a so-called uh concussion test you know the ones you see on tv and in the movies where they like you know follow my finger kind of thing and you know that really doesn't tell you much no. about you know what damage has had to the brain and we don't really have a good tool right now um that i've been exposed to mm. that says you know you've unless you're doing an mri or something you can see brain bleeds and mm. and that sort of thing mm. um but just layered concussions i don't think there's a tool yet that's right. There are actually, but you need to end up in the hands of a concussion specialist. There are mm-hmm. some ways that you can actually uh, monitor uh, the brain in a number of ways. And it's basically like a puzzle piece where you actually put the, the multiple pieces together. And it's quite a complex puzzle. And so mm-hmm. unless you know someone who is doing that, you're probably just left with a vague understanding of okay he might have had a knock to his head well so what Mm -hmm. we can't do much which is actually so wrong there is so Mm -hmm. much we can do about brain damage we can reverse alzheimer's we can reverse brain damage to quite a significant degree and that's Mm -hmm. something that is only really in the last 10 years or so um, we start to recognize the neuroplasticity of the brain is actually amazing and what you can do with it Mm -hmm. so you have if you let it exactly exactly right so it is it is a journey that you're going on that changes your life completely but then again so has the trauma and so has the Mm -hmm. the initial whatever has resulted in mm-hmm. the concussion so how long were you left to your own on it was basically two years wasn't it a good two years um and then what happened what 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 changed what was the catalyst well i i couldn't i couldn't work i mean i literally had a good chunk of my brain erased so i couldn't teach i had to relearn you know all my core skills um i'm i'm jewish so i've been doing hebrew since i was probably five years old um my friends brought my prayer book to me in the hospital and i could no longer read hebrew so an entire language had been evicted from my brain um i i had depth perception problems i had fine motor skill i had memory problems i was slurring my words and the only way I know to to improve yourself is exercise and try to learn. And so that's what I did. I started enrolling in a bunch of courses and riding my bike even more. And that helped a lot. You know, I didn't know it was neuroplasticity, uh-huh. um, but that's what I was undergoing. And I got to a point where I was ready to go back to to the college and then this happened all over again so (laughs) you know we talked about technology before and you know because we see the medical shows on tv or you know in films like star trek or whatever Mm. that they just have this super technology that solves everything we we put our blind faith in things and uh, the blind faith in my pacemaker was was unfortunately uh not well founded and I started um, 
well, I'm 100% dependent on the pacemaker. So if, if your audience wants a quick learning tool on, you know, um, full heart blocks, they can go to the Cleveland Clinic website. And, uh, and there's a couple of little tutorials on full heart block and what it does. But, um, you know, I was having these brain quakes again and hitting my head again. And it was just a repeat of everything. And they eventually figured out that um, one of the pacemaker leads cracked. And, you know, mm. usually that's not something that happens in isolation. Um, mm. You know, there'll be a recall because they notice a whole bunch of them mm -hmm. uh, in various patients. Well, but there wasn't a recall for mine. Uh, so it was just a, a one-off. So, because I'm special. Indeed. And that's a that's a brutal, isn't it? You you think you've done it, and then again, <laughs> the universe decides, yeah, right, come on, mm. nah, we can do better. And mm -hmm. so your machine that you rely on for your life actually cocks out. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's brutal. And so the whole journey started again with the yeah. multiple uh, times that things didn't work. Um, mm -hmm. May I ask, are you living in an area that, where there was not such a great medical coverage? Or are you living in a larger town where there are actually hospitals and pacemaker clinics and things like that? Uh, I'm the first hospital I was in um, did not where I had my pacemaker inserted is not one of the higher quality hospitals. Right. I'm in Toronto. It's a major city. We have, um, you know, some world class doctors here. Yeah, and uh, I just didn't encounter them <laughs> in my in my first round. Yeah. Um, you don't need, in, you in don't need to be world class. You need to be of a sound, good standard, um, and that is close to hundred percent for most of us mm -hmm. doctors. So there you are. It is um, again. It's 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 unfortunately again that there were delays there. These delays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did you deal with them? I mean, you had you had problems to start off with, and there was a delayed diagnosis. Now, were you far quicker to actually challenge the medical system and say, come on, guys, get your shit together? One hiccup, I allow you, but we have another hiccup now. Where are we going? It's, you know, you're you're sort of limited in what you can challenge because you don't want to piss off the person that you're hoping is going to save your life you know and they just say oh if you don't like me you know find somebody else yeah um and again there's this uh rigidity of bias in in that we're the experts you know what you're telling us isn't accurate and i can't tell you how many times i've gone back into emergency and i actually have two pacemakers right now running concurrently uh, because of all these problems. I was told I'm one of eight people in the world that have this. I don't know how accurate that is, if it's hospital, you know, urban myth kind of thing. But I, I don't think there's a lot of people like me. Mm. And when I would tell a new doctor this, they're like, yeah, right, whatever. So I'm like, okay, you've got my chart in front of you. Read it. Just read the chart. Oh. If you don't want to trust me, trust 10 of your colleagues that have commented this. Mm. on this before uh but they don't want to do it for whatever reason whether it's time constraints or arrogance or just that you know your patient doesn't know what they're talking about um they could actually so. just put their hands on me and say well uh yeah there's two pacemakers there this is weird no it is what it is mm -hmm. you were your life stopped <laughs> literally mm -hmm. um but also figuratively because here you were this uh in your career a happy man taking the challenge of of teaching young people and now suddenly all that ruck was pulled from underneath you and was there anything to replace it how did you gain hope how did you survive on an emotional level uh, I think part of it is uh, having faith in God. Uh, and I realize not everybody has that perspective. I think 
I've also been given a resilience gene from my parents. Huh. And, you know, genetics are a weird thing. Uh, they're a beautiful thing and they're a weird thing. And, uh, you know, if you get to a point where your epigenetic subsystems kick in and it allows you to access the full functions of that resilience gene, it's one thing. I, I, I guess I've been very fortunate in that, but you really, in my case, you don't have a choice uh, of saying, well, I quit. I mean, if you quit, you're, you're dead. Like, do I not call 911? Yeah, no, 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 no. You know, I mean, you just have to. And, uh, but that was your, that was your, your immediate kind of reaction. Of course, you call, call 911. Of course, you want to survive. Mm -hmm. That is a given. But it is, was there, I, I sensed that there was quite a bit of resentment and anger and frustration in between the lines here. Is am I on the right track here? Yes, but it, it took a while for that to come out. So as I started to write my book, it was more of a cathartic exercise, hmm. sort of like a journaling. Yeah. And you know, all this writing eventually turned into what I hope is going to be a best-selling international hmm. <laughs> you know, book. But um all my memories and recollections weren't in place. I had to work through a process over years where I'd remember this interaction with this medical person or another medical. And so as I went further and further down this rabbit hole, uh, I did become fairly upset that, you know, I got such shit treatment, excuse me. And you know, very frustrated mm. that this happened to me and, and essentially ripped my life away from me, uh, which I still haven't gotten back, but, you know, I'm working on it. And so you're, you're hundred percent right on that. It just doesn't, mm. didn't happen to me in, in instantaneously, like a lot of people think it should. I think that's really, really important because that in its own right is a trauma uh, in its own right, you are used to the medical shows on TV. Someone did a study quite a while ago looking at the success rate of cardiac arrest uh, management in the hospital, not in the hospital, sorry, in on, on in television. And it was 80, 90% successful. And typically the guy coughs, <laughs> then he gives a nice French kiss to his sexy nurse. And you just think, what a heap of bullshit. And I guess that's the same have the same reality check is for every policeman who watches a criminal show who thinks, oh my God. Um, mm -hmm. for for those of you out there, when it comes to the management of cardiac arrest, when the heart stops, and unless you have got uh, electricity around in a sense of a defibrillator, unless you have got someone there really more or less as a witness cardiac arrest, um a community cardiac arrest where the patient is lying there for a few minutes does not end well. And we're talking mm -hmm. about zero point something percent survival in reality. And the longer this person is not found, the less the chances are. So I think that is a, a reality check. The, the, mm -hmm. the survival of out of hospital cardiac arrest is not great by any standard even in the mm -hmm. best circumstances. So let's be quite clear. The sheer fact that you are here is a beautiful thing. So you've beaten the odds multiple so. times over. So let's let's give credit to whoever or whatever is out there. Um, something or someone didn't want you to stop at this stage, but they wanted mm -hmm. you to learn lessons. So like it or lump it <laughs> so what made that awareness happen so you sought some some counseling two years down the line so that sort of mm -hmm. started coming together but nowadays you probably live a very different life compared with the life that you lived in the past so that's where we started um, off when I, when I tried to figure out, hey, you know what was your typical day like um, and what is your typical day like now my typical day is is very different. Um, 
I spend a good portion of my day trying to find podcasts to guest on like yours, which I appreciate very much. Uh, I think it's very important to get my story out to people mm. so that they know, even if I haven't walked in your exact shoes, I, I understand what going through trauma and PTSD and mm. post-concussion and those things are like, and that there are alternatives to to what's presented in the traditional medicine realm um and i can talk about intermittent fasting a little bit if you if you want which i think has been most responsible for my neurological recovery beautiful Um, beautiful so obviously you started working with people who introduced you to certain principles which might very well be serving you better than than maybe other other ways of life and now we're so, talking now we're talking so it's it's surprising that you come to intermittent fasting as one of the first key principles or key things but hey yes you're right tell me more um when i first was introduced to intermittent fasting in 2018 i was in my cardiologist's uh, exam room and he came in and he literally throws a book at me <laughs> and uh he says, buy this, read this, do this, but only after you get approval from all your other doctors, because I have an endocrinologist, I have three uh-huh. cardiologists, uh, you know, I'm just a mess. So, um, because it was primarily for weight loss. That's what the initial view of, of intermittent fasting was. It's a type of diet and it'll help you drop some pounds. Mm. What we're learning now um uh, just because research is just you know decades uh behind the reality of what doctors are learning is that there is an unbelievable healing component to intermittent fasting and it does activate all these epigenetic systems which are way beyond my knowledge base um which help you with neuroplasticity neurotropic agents uh, autophagy, or you might pronounce it different. No, nope. sounds autophagy. pretty good to me. Autophagy systems, mm. all sorts of, of healing, mm. and um, we're just starting to to come around to that. Uh, people like Dr. Mark Matson, who's been you know at the mm. forefront of intermittent fasting, he's from Johns Hopkins, mm. and I think he just has a new book out, um, which I can't remember. So my my memory is not a hundred percent. But but it does get better every day. Oh, which is brilliant. And you're you're then when did that change happen? When did that change from from pure victim to survivor? When did that transition happen? I would say probably around 2018 when mm. I was starting to make process uh, progress with. Uh, my therapy and writing my book and it was coming to you know Mm. something that might be tangible Um, and then I read the obesity code by Dr. Jason Fung Mm. Uh, that's probably the first Mm. uh, he's actually from Toronto Mm -hmm. and a couple um, oh please Jason Jason cardiologist he's my hero he's a good dude yeah Um, so my cardiologist have actually taken seminars from him um because you know we're 20 minutes apart and uh so that's how uh intermittent fasting got spread to me Mm. uh but again it was primarily on on the weight loss side of things Mm. and um as we've progressed it's it's moved towards uh as my friend jen stevens i can do a, a book plug that i showed you before um she's usually one and two with dr fung in the intermittent fasting realm. Nice. Okay, good to know. So guys, when we are talking, we are talking about intermittent fasting, you think, what the hell? They're brain injury, and now they're talking about weight loss. What the heck? Um, Ultimately, intermittent fasting refers to the fact that uh, for a prolonged period of time in hours during a 24-hour cycle, you do not eat. Now, that 
sounds weird to the Western world. It is actually very normal. Many cultures around the world are actually living like that. And often those cultures who, um, who have a great deal of longevity, where people live longer. Um, you look at the Mediterranean diet, for example, and you think, oh, good, I just need to have olive oil, sun, and I don't know what, uh, maybe some feta, and that's it, that's it, and I'm going to be fine. What people forget is whilst there are certain foods that are eaten there, they are eaten in a much different ratio, and they are certainly not as rich, uh, et cetera, as, as, as our normal Western diet and not as processed. But also, there are actually prolonged periods of fasting within the 24-hour cycle, and that actually stimulates your body to heal itself. Mm-hmm. Autophagy um, is meaning that you eat yourself. And that's true. Um, so your body actually gobbles up itself, but not in a negative way. It, it actually um, attacks sick cells and, and cells that need to go because they are just rotting and doing things. So it is actually, um, it's actually regenerating in a stronger way way just as much as you prune a tree and the next next spring will Mm -hmm. be so much better for that tree same same principles in the fasting period so fasting is often enough nowadays recognized as a cure for diabetes as a as a means of improving your body in its function to tremendous levels Mm -hmm. not just yes as a side side effect you might lose some weight but that is not why we are doing it that is actually um you can you can change a lot of medical problems by fasting and intermittent fasting so therefore and jason fung is has been has done some amazing uh tedx talks and 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 videos on youtube so it's beautiful beautiful that you were introduced to that um Mm -hmm. you so great so you were working on the underlying problem of the damage in your body and you try to restore that were there other ways that your life changed that you incorporated other way other tech uh, what's the word techniques tricks um what else did that um mostly on the learning side of things Mm. um you know, I've been used to learning about finance and marketing for so many years that I don't think it challenged my brain to rewire mm. uh, as much as it could. Yeah. So I went to a whole different uh, type of learning with uh, from Jewish philosophy called the Talmud. And it's these crazy rabbinic discussions from two, three, four thousand years ago. And just trying to follow these conversations is mind altering. It, it really wow. challenges your brain. And um, I, I still do it because I think there's a, there's a huge benefit, no matter what stage of life you're in, to, to lifelong learning. And challenge, the more you challenge your brain, the, it's like exercise for the rest of your body. It just keeps you going and keeps you vibrant. And it... Uh, I think the intermittent fasting has a huge effect on mood because it affects your gut biome. Mm. So when you combine that with the learning and the exercise, uh, it really puts you into a a different sphere of existence. That's very true. Very true. And there are so many more things that will materialize in your future path. Uh, Inevitably you are, I envy you because you're still at the start of your journey uh, of healing because you have got the privilege of exploring this path in so many different ways. And you will inevitably you're you're dealing with one subset of trauma and you have been dealing with that and you've been taking action. You wrote things down. You actually put things into words. You retrained your brain. How beautiful is that? That is, uh, mm-hmm. you made such huge progress and you're on this journey and you're here now to spread the word. You're looking actively mm-hmm. to help others. So you're already coming full circle from being sort of the victim to 
becoming the teacher again and and speaking mm -hmm. out. So again, taking action is such a beautiful thing. And there will mm -hmm. be more strings to your bow that will come into the future. The, your focus on nutrition is very likely to change. The focus on your sleep, oh, sure. the hydration, those kind of things. The the uh, you will learn biohacking, not necessarily in a true biological sense, but more in the mm -hmm. sense of mind hacking. How can you mm -hmm. actually deal with the emotions in a positive way? Um, are there indeed? You know. Is there meditation, maybe something that that might be worthwhile for me? Because just mm -hmm. as much as the intermittent fasting is causing a reset in your in your body, um, transcendental meditation or other meditation practices are doing the same. Because what you're doing mm -hmm. is you're actually stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system. So not the sympathetic, which is fight and flight and, and going out there, bang, 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 bang. But the parasympathetic where actually mm -hmm. you let calm wash over your body, mm -hmm. switch off the fight and flight. And suddenly that is again a period where your body says, ah, okay, we don't need to defend ourselves against saber-toothed tigers. Um, we can actually focus on healing. And your body is clever. It knows where it needs to heal. So mm -hmm. that's beautiful. So all those mm -hmm. things are out there and it's a beautiful, beautiful journey that you are on, that I'm on and that it is a privilege to be on that journey. You are, uh, are experiencing that and I'm so pleased for you, actually. Thank you. I think a lot of people, because of the frantic lifestyles we're living in the modern world, they uh, tend to focus more on the struggle than the journey. Mm -hmm. And admittedly, that's a, that's a hard lesson to learn for many people, myself included. Um, but as you mentioned, the body is just so smart and it's got so many protective mechanisms built in if we just allow the body mm -hmm. to access them. And uh for me, I can't meditate because of my various brain traumas. Mm. I, I just fall asleep. It just doesn't work. I can't visualize. I can't Excellent. get in that rhythm. Excellent. But okay. In, in Judaism, uh, optimally, we pray three times a day. Yeah. And that's a form of meditation. It might not be the you know, Eastern form of meditation, the you know, find your mantra and, mm, and that sort of thing. But... You know, it makes you focus on something external to you and um, says, you know, I'm not the center of the universe. I've got to calm down and concentrate on this conversation I'm having with mm. a being that I'll never meet. <laughs> um, and, but it's a form of meditation. So that and I can do. More importantly, what you just realized is that not everything out there is for everyone. You, mm -hmm. for reasons whatsoever, um, will be challenged with one thing or the other. And that's all right. That is just mm -hmm. a reality check that, yes, some people get amazing results from certain meditation techniques. And others like you, sorry, that's just a, a surefire way of getting you to sleep. Well, to mm -hmm. a certain degree, that's maybe not such a bad mm -hmm. thing, such a bad realization. So if you're struggling, mm -hmm. okay, how can I actually go to sleep and that you have found out a way. So look at it positively um, rather than feeling again mm -hmm. betrayed by fate that, ah, oh, why can't I be like that? No, you're not for reasons whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So, okay, let's, you found one way that didn't work. Let's find the ways that do work. What does your mm -hmm. brain like? What does your brain enjoy? Mm -hmm. I, I, as I've gone through this learning path, um, and a lot of the learning I did is through Jen Stevens. She had a Facebook group uh, that's sort of being archived right now. It had about 335,000 members. Wow. Um, I, had, I became an intermittent fasting moderator. And so, wow. you know, again, the teacher part, right? Nice. Kind of through. I just wanted to help other people. And so there aren't many questions on intermittent fasting I haven't been exposed to. Yeah. And what you quickly realize is that there is no one protocol, even in intermittent fasting, oh. that works for everybody. 
and the speed at which it works is different for everybody. Mm. And what we saw, and I have a problem with anecdotal science. <laughs> um, you know, if you've got a sample size of 10 people and you see a result, that's anecdotal. When you have millions of people mm. that are getting similar results, I, I think that's jumped from anecdotal to reality. Mm. The, these are confirmed outcomes. Um, we would see that the body seems to prioritize healing over weight loss. Mm. And, you know, it tries to normalize your hormones and get all these mm. subsystems working again. And then you work for weight loss. But, you know, some people, it might be a 16-hour fast every day. For some people, it's fasting twice a week. For some people, they need to do 36 or 40-hour fasts a couple of times a week. Mm. So you just have to um, play with it and, and figure out what works for you. Mm. Now, there's a couple of groups that we know shouldn't be doing intermittent fasting. Um, pregnant women, breastfeeding women, or or people that have had uh, an eating disorder, mm. they they should not be doing this unless they have you know serious serious medical oversight. Thank you. That warning is really very very good to realize. But otherwise, it is amazing how many chronic diseases benefit from intermittent fasting. So no, I mm. I could not could not agree more. Fred, yeah, I was the, actually, yeah, you were. I was actually diagnosed type two when all this started with me, and, and type two diabetes. Mm. And within six months of intermittent starting intermittent fasting, I was no longer type two. I was off insulin. Exactly. I'm on medical, exactly. minimal medications. It's just phenomenal. Beautiful. And if you then extrapolate from that fact and say, well, actually, Alzheimer's or, or cognitive decline is nowadays um, labeled as a diabetes type three. Um, if you have reversed your diabetes, does that not mean also you're actually doing tremendously good things for your brain? And I venture to say yes, absolutely. So I, I think so. <laughs> exactly. And you're, you're the living proof here. You're the mm -hmm. living proof from being virtually incapacitated and having, for the lack of a better word, multiple, multiple strokes. Strokes mm -hmm. normally means a blood clot shoots up and stops the blood supply and gives you, in an area of the brain, um, low levels of oxygen and the brain dies. So that's that. You had it systemically. The whole brain got mm -hmm. knocked because your heart stopped and therefore no oxygen came through. Plus then you banged your head. So for crying mm -hmm. out loud, here you had some serious brain injury and it was manifesting itself and you are reversing it. How cool is I'm that? I'm an overachiever. Yep, exactly. They're both in the <laughs> in so many ways. <laughs> we don't need to go there. <laughs> no, brilliant. Fred, you're an amazing man, and you're on the on the start of your journey towards towards greater things. And it just shows that that sometimes the universe and life has got uh, different plans for you than what mm -hmm. you initially set out to become or who you thought you were. Uh, so now four years down the line, you're a speaker, podcast, uh, guest, and who knows who you are in a year's time because you've started this journey of, of self-love, of looking after yourself, of, mm -hmm. of supporting others. And therefore, by supporting others, you hold yourself accountable. And that's beautiful too. So you're actually growing. So who knows who you want to be when you grow up. So it's, it's, it's cool. We are both in the same boat. Fred, thank you so much for being a guest. I want to be an astronaut. An astronaut. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh dear. No, 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 no. I think uh, speaker and changing the world's view on concussion and brain trauma. I think that is a very worthy uh, mm. task and challenge. Um, so now this is, um, I'm so pleased about what you do to actually go out there and raise awareness because so many people are suffering and they have had maybe similar fates as, uh, than you and you have become a spokesperson for those people. Mm. So for that, I'm, I'm grateful to you because we need to have that realization that there, there are 
often many detours in one's life because before one finds out where where is the right place for you and your right mission mm-hmm. in life you you are a classic example of such detours and maybe others can realize okay there is hope and there is whilst change is often drastic and dramatic in our life it comes with benefits and it comes with a new awareness that you're mm-hmm. no longer taking things for granted for example the ticker that works regular in my heart in my center of my chest um i i take it for granted everyone else does until it does no longer function so well so no yeah. that's good fred thank you so much for being a guest on my show um my wish, i'm wishing you all the best for the future and you guys out there never give up I mean, he is, Fred is the classic example of so many things uh, throwing challenges to your life. And let's learn from it. And let's, let's, let's be grateful. So practice gratitude rather than attitude um, and uh, look after yourself. I think that is the biggest thing. So live with passion. Bye. <laughs>